Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, thanks for uh, having me. Thanks, Lewis, for the invitation and Naomi for the way I got here. So um, I understand that it's what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, and it's fun to join you guys from snowy Chicago. I'm sure there's not much snow where you guys are. Um, <laughs> we've had snow for a while, it's finally melting. So I, um, I came into the program when I was about 18, I think. Um, and what it was like, I, I like to say that there's the um, physical, emotional, and spiritual components of this disease. So in terms of physical, um, I believe I was born a sugar addict. I've just always had a different reaction to sugar than other people. I mean, than the normal eater, um, meaning that it was just really hard to just have one serving. Um, my dad um, has an addiction too. And so I think there was just that genetic um, you know, part of me that like inherited the addiction and the addictive nature and the predisposition to, to sugar. Um, and, you know, along with that, when I um, was in third grade, I was just telling my daughter this yesterday, I decided I was fat and uh, put myself in my first diet when I was in fourth grade. So there was definitely the body image concerns from a really young age. Um, in terms of the spiritual component, um, I grew up in a fairly agnostic household. We never talked about God. There wasn't really a relationship with God. My parents had actually both grown up in different churches um, and both walked away from it when they were adults. So um, I didn't really have a relationship with a higher power. And then emotionally it was, you know, tough. Like both, I would say I was like a sensitive child. I, I still just have big feelings and I didn't know how to manage them. Um, my parents don't have big feelings or if they do, they don't show them. And so they just didn't really know how to help me with my big feelings. Um, I was the first, I am the firstborn, and um, there was both just like a lot of expectations for me to um, be the best, to be the performer, the achiever. And I'm definitely a type A personality. So I wanted to do that, but um, you know, a lot of pressure too, to, to be something. And I probably was more of a natural fit with my dad who um, was the addict and who just wasn't real available. And my mom did her best. I mean, my parents both did their best, but um, she clicked more with my sister. So I think just at a young age, there was just some hurt and feeling left out. And, um, and then as my dad's um, addictions worsened and my parents' marriage got worse, it definitely affected me. Um, and really was longing, I was longing for like a cohesive family that I just didn't have. Um, and then there was like kind of the perfect storm in seventh grade, the last period kids were teasing me. And I, you know, being that sensitive kid didn't really know how to handle it. My mom had just gone back to work. I came home to an empty house and my solution was to overeat um, on sugar. And, you know, no one was there and it, I felt a little better for 10 minutes or whatever it was, <laughs> but then I decided I was fat. So I, um, you know, I just remember as a seventh grader, like going to the library and getting books on dieting and putting myself on a diet, even though I probably hadn't really gained weight or not much. And that just started the cycle. Um, you know, so at a pretty young age, um, and you know, junior high was kind of rough as junior high can be for a lot of us, but, um, it's definitely a, a rough time. Um, I was 
rebelling against my parents. I went through a punk phase. I was just trying to figure life out and experimenting with different things. And um, I think I was just really longing for guidance and um, how to become a woman and not sure I wanted to grow up, but you know, just a lot of discomfort with who I was. Um, so I'd say just the disease got worse every year and like both the binging side and the trying to get rid of it side both worsened over time. Um, I would say by my junior year, when I was 16, I was pretty miserable. I was probably depressed and didn't know it. Um, it things had gotten bad enough that I was either pretending to be sick or skipping school in order to binge. And that I probably missed about a third of the school year. Um, my friendships were not in a good place and I felt really alone in the world. Um, that was a pretty tough year and that my parents did finally split up, which was good and hard. Um, so, the turning point started to come when I um, started to find my own way and I left home. Um, I asked my parents if I could transfer to boarding school and you know, my life, like all the other parts of my life started to get better. Like my relationship with my parents got better. Like the grades got better, the friends got better, but the food thing that got worse. <laughs> it just kept getting worse and worse. And um, the geographic solution didn't work. And, you know, it's one thing to binge on the food in your own house or you like your sister's food. It's another thing to, steal food from the dorm refrigerator or your roommate and then feel really bad about it and be like, oh man, what did I just do, you know? So um, it was spring time of my junior, second junior year. And um, I felt, I came home for spring break and all the food triggers were worse at home. And I just remember I felt really desperate. And I, um, I think it was, I called this telephone hotline. I volunteered at it, but I didn't say it was me. And I just said, I'm so desperate. I don't know how to stop binging. And they said, have you thought about Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, no, <laughs> you know, I was like 17. And my, I was like, I'm not going there. You know, they're going to be all like older than me and, you know, people I can't relate to and all different, you know, they're going to all be overweight. I was not that overweight. And I just felt like I wouldn't fit in. And, but I finally went, you know, after like having the idea and arguing with myself about it, I finally went and I was like, oh, this is, I can, these people talk like they talk about food the way I think about food. It was really like a coming home kind of moment. And I was blessed to be able to go to a meeting. It was like a noon meeting in Connecticut, um, Stanford, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, there were both genders. There were, or back then it was both genders. <clears throat> there were a variety of people, you know, different ages, different genders, different sizes, different shapes. Like it was not what I expected. And it was beautiful. Um, and I remember someone like, chase me afterwards and said, can I give you a hug? And I was like, what is this place? Why do you want to give me a hug? <laughs> so I went back to boarding school and I found a way there. It took me a little while to go. And, you know, the first nine months I was just going to meetings, usually arriving late and leaving early, not talking to anybody and maybe picking up the phone um, for a while, you know, and not getting a food plan, but I was willing to go to the meetings. And then I was willing to get a sponsor. I remember, um, it was September and I was in the gap with my mom and my sister and I had binged the night before and I just felt that awful feeling of like, I hate myself, I feel gross. I just can't believe I did that. I swore I wasn't gonna do that. I just, I tried everything I could think of to stop binging and I could never stop for more than like seven days. Um, and that was really hard. Um, so I just remember getting on my knees in the, um, in the dressing room. And by then I had actually found a higher power. I had, um, 
I had actually become a Christian. I was trying to remember like the timeline. So the same time that I found OA, I became a Christian, which really blew my parents away. That was not their program for me. <laughs> but my younger sister had become a Christian through um, a national Christian youth group. And so I just was really attracted to the love and the um, community, the joy um, and the welcome that I felt there. And um, I really wanted a relationship with a higher power. I knew I needed one. I just felt so alone. So, so I had this relationship that I was developing with Jesus and I just remember getting down on my knees in the gap and saying, I, I don't ever want to binge again. I don't ever want to feel like this again. Please help me, God. Now, I did binge again, but I think that was a big turning point of willingness for me. Um, so I did, I got a sponsor and I borrowed someone's food plan. I was in boarding school in Ohio and everybody there in that group, like they all had these food plants from this treatment center in Florida. And I don't know why it was just so popular. So I just grabbed their food plan, which wasn't, it's not a good idea to get a food plan without a sponsor, without a nutritionist. Like you want to have a nutritionist tell you what to eat. So I was waiting. I was not, I ended up losing too much weight and becoming anorexic on that food plan, but, but I was willing and I was willing to try different things. And every time I um, slipped and I slipped, I big slipped three times that fall. Um, I just evaluated it. I really like to solve problems. And I was like, okay, what was the missing piece here? And you know, each time I would make an adjustment, like, oh, I guess I need a sponsor who's abstinent. I had a sponsor who wasn't abstinent. We'll change that. Oh, I guess I can't drink alcohol because that, you know, makes me want to binge. Okay, we'll stop that one. Okay, um, I think I need a, like a weight and measured food plan. And back then I, I did, I don't need that now. But, you know, so each time I just kind of figured it out and, you know, with God's help and um, by God's grace, um, June, or sorry, January 5th, 1993 um, is when, um, is my abstinence state. So I'm um, very grateful for that. Um, by that time I was um, in college and um, I was, hopefully it's okay to say this, I was blessed to go to college with Naomi. Um, she was such a blessing. Our higher po powers brought us together in a really unexpected way before I even got there. Um, so I had an OA community and um, went to meetings. And I think at the beginning, it was just so hard. Like both my first, my senior year of morning school and my first year of Western, it was like, man, I'm calling three people a day. I'm going to meetings as much as I can. And, you know, I didn't have a car. So I was dependent on people to drive me places. And, um, you know, I had my sponsor and I had my therapist and I, you know, I had like, I got um, a nutritionist and I got a food plan that worked for me. And I just was trying to do whatever it took. And I just had this idea that like picking up my addiction is like putting a gun to my head, except it's a lot slower, more painful death. And so if I can just not pick up for today, like it'll be okay. But once I pick up, I'm on that downward spiral and I just, um, I don't know when I'll come back. And there was this little pamphlet, this OE literature, um, it's called Before You Take That First Compulsive Bite, Remember. Um, I don't even know if people use it anymore, but like, I just read that thing all the time to try to help me. Um, and it was just, I, it helped me to realize too, like the first month of being off sugar for me, I just can't have sugar. Some people can't in a way that's fine. But like, for me, it was like those first month of not using and the first month of not acting out is like the hardest. And then if I could just get past that, it got like a little easier and it got a little easier and it got a little easier. So um, where I am now, so that's um, like 20, I don't know, seven, 28 years of being in OA. Um, you know, I've worked the steps multiple times. Um, I've gone through a lot of different kinds of things with sponsoring. Like there's times now I've, I have like a food sponsor and then I have, um, I would say more of like an overall sponsor that I don't talk to her about my food unless I needed to, but I, I talked to her about steps and principles. Um, I'm in um, a couple 12-step programs, you know, just realized I needed more. And, um, 
you know, my relationship with my higher power is really important to me. And I guess I, I think I'm practicing these principles in all of my affairs is really the bottom line with my children and my husband um, at work um, in my service work, you know, within and outside of the 12 steps. Um, it's been really um, cool to see how this program can apply to so many things. Um, and I guess my bottom line is like, I just don't pick up, you know, and if it's that hard, like I went through, I've been going through a pretty hard time with our family. Like our daughter is struggling with some really big things and she's actually struggling with this disease. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's one thing to fight your own disease. It's nothing to fight your child's disease. Um, so I see my disease reflected back to me quite a bit. Um, and there was a time recently when it was so, I was in so much pain that I, um, I really didn't want to eat. The anorexic side of me was just rearing its head. And I, um, I was on the phone texting or calling my food sponsor, like sometimes multiple times a day, just trying to get through like the next meal, like the next thing. And her message was like, just, we're just going to get through this meal. And like, if you don't eat the meal, like you have one more problem. So let's just, let's just try to have one less problem and do this. Um, and I found that there's just, uh, the program is sort of like, um, a canopy or like a hammock, you know, just always there to catch me when I'm going through hard things. And um, I'm really grateful that I have the recovery to give to my daughter, you know, who's having a hard time. And I, I think there's ways I'm at step one, both in just seeing I am powerless over my own disease and powerless over others' diseases and, and seeing how, how sneaky, I think I've just been reflecting how sneaky and hard this disease is um, and how much we need uh, the program and a higher power. And, and I've been really thankful that I have all of those pieces. Um, I would say the other, one other piece I'm trying to think what else I should share. Um, it's been really fun to figure out like um, movement in, in recovery. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't really have a healthy relationship with exercise when I was in my disease. And um, now, you know, there's just like one of my favorite things to do is to play tennis with my family, um, which feels so non-compulsive, but just so like joyful um, or taking like bike rides and hikes in nature um, is really life-giving to me. So I'm grateful for those gifts too, that I can, in, I'm learning to enjoy my body. I think it's still a process. I don't know that I'll ever arrive, but like learning to enjoy my body and celebrating um, what it's given me um, in spite of, you know, things like perimenopause and body changes and not always liking everything about it, like just trying to appreciate it. and um a lot more around acceptance so um one of the meetings i go to there's a woman who always ends her shares with um, my weight is not my business it's god's and so i i try to live that one and remember that um i am a beloved child of my higher power regardless of how i look or how i feel about how i look um and my value is in who i am so i think that's all i have to share <laughs>